Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. So at some point, when we say get out of your own way, we want to take a really deep examination of the ways you protect yourself. Say thank you for them. You probably needed them back in the schoolyard or wherever, you know, with your parents, whatever. But right now, as an adult, it's probably getting in the way of you helping make love and relationship work. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. It's Violet Benson, your favorite meme queen and the big sis you didn't ask for, but need. Welcome to Almost Adulting. Almost Adulting. Almost Adulting. Are you ready? Hi, besties, and welcome to a brand new Almost Adulting, the largest self-love podcast and movement, your number one destination for personal growth and mental health. I'm your host and your big sister, Violetta. And today, my special guest, I have him go by Figs. He has a full name that he'll share in a second, which is harder for me to pronounce. He is a licensed marriage and family therapist and certified and emotionally focused therapy for couples through counseling for individual and couples. You guys will be able to check out his website after we finish the interview, which is empathy.com with an I, empathy with an I. And so you basically help people work out how to love better, understand each other better, feel safe in yourself and in love, heal from loss, grief, deal with arguments, intimacy, what to do when you're in a toxic relationship, quote unquote, and how it's maybe not that toxic, which we'll discuss today and so on. Correct? Exactly. Although when you say it all together like that, it feels really a loss. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I do all of those things. And I I should say for your listeners, I've been on vacation now back in my home country of Ireland for the last two weeks. So I have not helped a single soul. In fact, I try very hard not to help anyone while I'm here. So let's see if I can remember how to do all those things. Well, hopefully in you just taking time for yourself to, because that's what you need, I doubt. I'm sure you'll remember. You've been doing this for so long. So basically, I thought today we can kind (laughs) of... I think a topic that's so common that people love to use various words, including toxic people or being in a toxic relationships relationship. So I thought the first, maybe we can define what you think a toxic relationship is and what are some common signs that might indicate that you are in one. Yeah. Well, yeah, this is a really good question. Great. I appreciate it. Right. It's something I think a lot about. I would say probably the most important point that could define when your relationship is toxic, most importantly, if there's any domestic violence, right? So like rule number one for a couple's therapist is we cannot work on trying to make a relationship better if there's domestic violence or a risk of domestic violence. You just got to get that one out of the way straight away, right? That a couple should not work together on their relationship 
if they get so activated, one or both of them, where they're at risk of actually hurting each other, coercing, blocking exits. That's just a no-go. And, you know, what does a couple do if they're doing that? Look, you still need help. You're still human beings. You're still worthy of love and kindness. And you got to work on yourself first so that you can get your shit together enough so that you're not going to be hurting yourself or each other. And then once you've done that work on your own, then we can come back together as a couple and then work together where you can actually be regulated inside yourself enough to do the work together. Right. So so it's the first part. So, yeah. Okay. So that's like the very type of the most extreme type of when I think of toxic relationship, but I think that's good because you even defining showing that type of definition will kind of show people that a lot of times their relationship may not actually be toxic the way they think it is. And that's what we're going to dive into today. So you discuss a lot about how your relationship probably isn't toxic and neither are you or your partner. So what would you say aside from the physical altercations, what would you say some um the difference between a fixable quote unquote toxic relationship is and one that you need to walk away from? Yeah. So look, this is tough, right? Like this is the age of like, you know, let's say you're going through something really difficult. You take a job. It's really, really hard. And someone goes, yeah, isn't it great? You're in a hard job because it's a growth opportunity. Like, good for you. You're growing versus no. Define in general. But but let me just say this, right? A relationship that's fixable and a relationship that people would often define their own relationship as toxic, it can look the exact same. It can look the exact same, right? It's what do we do with the quote unquote toxicity? So if you think your partner is mental, mad, a lunatic, behaves poorly, The chances are the way you're looking at them, the fact that you think they are toxic or this relationship is toxic, you it almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because they're not going to enjoy being looked at as a mad person, right? A crazy person, a not enough person. And they now are going to look at you as a toxic one too. And so you almost like again, this is the tragedy, is most people make their relationship toxic by starting to think their relationship is toxic. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. So many people throw around that term toxic relationship lightly, like the minute I don't agree with something my partner said or did, or I don't agree with the behavior, or it's triggering to me. Instead of me thinking, why is this triggering to me? It's so much easier for most people to not be self-aware and to just say, well, you're triggering me because you're toxic and it's everyone around me. So what would you say, what role does self-esteem and self-worth play in the vulnerability in toxic relationships, quote unquote, toxic relationships? Yeah. Well, look, one of the most basic skills, and it's very, I say basic, but it's very hard to be able to do that uh, one would hope people work on is being able to see that anytime you're a negative judgment of another person, it's because you yourself are not getting something really important to you. The not getting that thing, that flavor of love actually really hurts 
you're actually in a threatened, vulnerable experience, even if you think it's just the other person's an asshole. Like, even if that's your story, anytime you think someone else is a quote unquote asshole, it means there's something you're not getting and you're in a threatened, vulnerable experience inside. And then in, in an ideal world, you would do the work to then be able to talk to that other person and or your boss from or, you know, the person back in your groceries from that place of like, hey, I'm actually not feeling considered and I'm feeling really hurt versus continue to describe the other person as a quote unquote asshole. Yeah. yeah. How do you catch yourself in that? Because we've done an interview before where you talked about, which I loved. I actually used this analogy recently in two of my episodes where I mentioned you, that you gave me that example, which is basically the five-year-old yelling at their mom about how she sucks. And I wrote a letter to tell you that I'm leaving. And that's kind of how you have to view your partner. So how are you able to catch yourself? Okay, let's say we are dating and I feel hurt by you. Let's say, okay, here's an example. Let's say I had a really bad day and you couldn't read my mind. And I'm not thinking about you being able to read my mind. I'm just thinking how you're not catering to my feelings. I had a really bad day and you're busy being out with your friends. And I kind of mentioned that I had a bad day. I'm like, I'm not like, I'm, I'm just not having it today, whatever. And you didn't catch the drift that I need you to be home now and take care of my needs. So by the time you come home after being out with your friends and I'm going to be like, you don't care about me, blah, 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 blah. And now we're going to get in a fight and like, maybe this isn't working out. So versus me having to look back with why did I just say right away that you don't care about me, right? Yeah. So, so look, here's the good news, bad news. There's multiple, unfortunately, there's multiple parts to this, right? Okay. Let's use this example you just gave, right? The first thing most likely is we are in a system, right? You got hurt. You were feeling not loved, not cared about, not prioritized because I was out and like, and you're like, I'm alone. You're out like having fun playing chess with your buddies, whatever it is, right? Yeah. You know, tiddlywinks, right? You know, and um, you're like, I don't feel considered I'm hurt. And you probably don't even like that part of yourself that would actually care that you're not being like cared for. So you're not going to let yourself feel the vulnerability, you're going to get all bitchy, right? But then when you get bitchy, whatever we call it, right? You know, like, you know, critical, man, whatever, right? I actually get hurt. Now I'm out playing chess and like, oh, my God, like you said it was OK. And now I'm in trouble when all I do is try and make sure that you feel loved and cared about. And I don't, and so now I'm hurt and now I'm pissed off and I'm reactive, too. So the most important thing is we're actually in a system. We're both hurting and we both experience each other as withholding love from each other. And so we both make things worse for a temporary period of time. So the best thing to be able to do, and it takes a while to practice how to do this, is sometime later that night or the next day, we both go, hey, were we in a system together where both of us got hurt and both of us were hurting each other? Don't worry about who got hurt first and who was the bad one first. Then from both of us are hurting and both of us are hurting each other, then it would be safe for you. Right. So then it would be safe for you because now, look, we know it was both of us for you to go, hey, wait a second. What was going on? Yeah, I didn't feel like I, I mattered to you because you're always playing chess with those guys. And I get lonely. And so you'd be able to tell me in a vulnerable way, not a pissy way. And then I could also tell you in a vulnerable way, like, oh, it feels so bad when you're disappointed in me, when I really care about making sure you know that I love you and your priority to me. 
And that what opens up this opportunity that we could hug each other and feel, oh my God, he cares now and she's not disappointed in me now. Right. So you're saying it's important to wait it out till we're both calm and then have the conversation of where we were coming from? Well, I wouldn't say wait it out. What I'm saying is there's a period, because love and relationship means so much, there's a period of time that you're not going to have access to the part of your brain that can go, oh, let me see, you know, what's the vulnerability I'm feeling right now? And let me see if I could communicate that really well. I don't think you're going to be able to do that right off the bat. We, the time to start doing the work is when you've already started being, forgive my friends, bitchy. You've already gone in, at least in your mind, you're like, eh, there he is off again playing chess, right? Like you pro- you're not going to stop it happening because that the reason you're in a negative story is because it touched some deep vulnerable place inside of you. And so the work begins after you're in reactivity, right? right. D- does that make sense? Yeah. So let's say I'm already having a bad day. That's my reality. So now I'm going to create a reality where also my partner sucks because my brain will, because our brains would automatically try to validate what we, how we feel about ourselves and how we think the world, the universe is. So if I'm having a bad day, everyone hates me, nothing's working out my way, then my brain will then try to prove that to be correct by also proving to me that my partner doesn't care about me. So then that's how I can look at my partner being out with his friends, even though I knew he was going to be out with his friends. But today, since now I'm having a bad day and I needed him, even though I didn't communicate that, my brain will validate exactly my thoughts about myself, that no one cares about me, including my partner. And that's where I will then attack my partner. And I will say, well, you don't care about me, but and in that way, hurting my partner by thinking they're not doing the work to show me how much they care. And now they're going to retaliate back at me by saying, you always act this way, instead of saying, wait, how old are you right now? The way you're acting, you must be, this must be a childhood wound and you must be your 11 year old self is seeking my attention. He's not going to think like that. So he's going to say, you always act this way. I'm so sick of this shit. I feel suffocated. So now boom, hurting me back. And now I feel like I'm suffocating someone. And now my, my feelings really don't matter. So I'm saying, yes. well, maybe this isn't working. So then he's going to say, maybe it's not working after all. Yeah. Yeah. So now but, just but here, boom, 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 here's, boom. that's brilliant. Brilliant. I couldn't have said it better. Here's the one detail you left out. That's really important. When you're having a bad day and because you're having a bad day, nobody likes me. I feel bad about myself. Everyone. And then you kind of create that reality and then you're mean to your partner. Right. It really hurts his feelings because he loves you. So, you know, the way you're like, you just went in the story. He doesn't even like me. He'd rather play chess than be with me. Right. As soon as you're thinking, because he really loves you. As soon as you're thinking about him that way. And like, you look, you can smell it. Right. You don't even have to say it. All you have to do is have a sigh. Okay. Yeah. What time? Oh, yeah, I guess. Like, look, he knows. And he's now hurting. Because being a disappointment to you is devastating. And of course, he's going to now do all the stuff he's learned to do to survive. He'll do like, yeah, whatever. Like he'll do chill or be defensive or shout back. But really important. So this is where, look, in an ideal world, the first big change I want a couple to make is to see that it's an us problem, not a, a me or you problem. And Violet, what you're doing right now is you're doing a brilliant job of self responsibility. And that's great. 
But here's the thing, like you're it's almost like bypassing this. Like if you imagine if a couple's really fighting a lot, I don't ask either member of a couple to move directly to self-responsibility. Like if you were feeling unloved by your partner and you came to my office, I wouldn't be working on you to take self-responsibility for the way you talk to your boyfriend when you're feeling unloved. Nor would I be asking him to take self-responsibility for the way he's super defensive, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and unavailable when he feels unloved. I would be trying to work on both of you to see, can you see how both of you get hurt in that entire conversation? My heart breaks for both of you. My heart breaks for poor little Violetta. Right. Sitting on the couch at home when her fella's playing chess. Uh, My heart breaks for that fella that's out playing chess with like other nerds and he's in Mm -hmm. trouble. This sucks for both of you. That's the key place I want you to get to first. Then let's do a deep dive into both of you taking self-responsibility. Yeah, I like that. It's a both of you problem, not just individually. And that's so much better because then you get to work through it as a team versus blame game and so on. We often talk about, and you've talked about this as well, about getting out of your own way. So how can childhood experiences hinder our ability to embrace love and vulnerability in relationships? And then how can we overcome that? Yeah, well, that's a great question again. So look, we all got hurt in our childhood, whether that's just the reality of the family you were born in, or like, you know, Joey robbed your red fire engine when you're a kid, and you still aren't over like playing with other yeah. kids. you like, as grown up, whatever it is, right? We all have stuff that we got really hurt and we had to survive. And we developed a character strategy, a personality style to survive getting hurt. But unfortunately, that character strategy, personality style, just imagine if anytime someone's mean to me, I go, yeah, you want to go? Right. right. Like that's how I survive. Let's say being bullied, let's say, well, you know, That's great. It probably helped me on the schoolyard. But now I'm in a relationship with someone and they step on my toe in the kitchen. I'm like, yeah, what what are you saying? You want to you want some of this? Like, yeah, look, these strat, whatever your strategy is to protect yourself from being hurt, you reenacting it now as a quote unquote grown up, almost adulting person. Right. You're probably going to make your life worse. So at some point, when I say get out of your own way, we want to take a really deep examination of the ways you protect yourself, say thank you for them. You probably needed them back in the schoolyard or wherever, you know, with your parents, whatever, you know, whatever happened to you. But right now, as an adult, it's probably getting in the way of you helping make love and relationship work. So then... How can we identify these self-sabotaging ways that we have and then break free from these self-sabotaging patterns to create more fulfilling relationships? Yeah, I mean, there's a few entry points, right? One way is how do you feel about yourself after you protect yourself? Like shit. Right? Well, there you go. That's a good sign that, hey, listen, I might be doing something that is a a strategy that works, let's say, if I was genuinely fighting for my life, but it may not actually about what's going to help me feel connected to myself and other people in a loving way. That's a good one. What's the impact of it on other people? Right. You know, again, if every time I get my feelings hurt, I go, I don't care about you anyway. Go fuck yourself. Right. 
right? I, or shutting you know, it down. Or shutting down, whatever it is, right? I'm a shutter downer. I'm a shouter at other people. I'm a dive into other things, you know, whatever you do. I'm a preemptive cheater, lever. Look, I, I tell jokes incessantly. Look, whatever you do to protect yourself from being hurt, right? I'm I like I placate. I like, oh, can I get you something? Oh, let me be extra nice. Like whatever mm -hmm. it is you do to protect the vulnerable one inside, eventually it becomes a poison, right? You're doing it too much. The other other people know and it gets really annoying, right? If not incredibly painful for your partner, friends. And so that's one another good way is you can see the impact of this behavior in other people it's not bringing you closer to them. It actually keeps you further away from them. Right. Why do you think us as humans, we are just naturally so scared to fall in love? It almost feels like this uncomfortable feeling and sometimes almost feels easier to just, it's almost more comforting and you feel more safe to be lonely than it is to take that leap into falling in love with someone. So we end relationships before they ever start. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, so here's the two closest definitions, let's say, of what love is, right? Love is basically from one perspective, from attachment theory, right? Love is you need to be emotionally bonded from the cradle to the grave, right? Is the most important need we have is to be emotionally bonded. You could have food, iPads, Amazon prime subscriptions when you were right. born and you'll still die if there's not another human being that will emotionally bond with you on the other side of your birth. You're just definitely going to fade away no matter what else you have, right? right. So so basically, here's the two sides of wounding and love. You're so important to me that if you're not here, I could, I'll feel abandoned and I would die from being abandoned. Or you're so important to me that I could be rejected by you if you, if I'm not good enough for you. Right. So that's deep in your system. You're not going to pull it out. It'll be the last thing that goes away when we integrate with AI or whatever. Right. Like it's, it's deep in. So when you fall in love with someone, what you're saying, what your body is now facing is, oh shit. It looks like I'm about to make this person the person that if I was abandoned by them, I would die. That's what you're, you're biologically like, oh my God, this is a big deal. Or on the other side, if I was rejected by this person for not being enough, I will die. Now, I know that sounds very dramatic, but that's what you're literally facing, the consequences of risking being chosen. Choose me. I love you. You could imagine why someone would go, uh, you know, <laughs> oh, no, you, you don't mean that much to me because it's terrifying to really risk being abandoned or rejected. Yeah, that makes sense. A hundred percent. It's like uh, once you find someone, then it's now the fear of that you could potentially lose them. But that is part of everything in life. And even when you finally find your person, one of you eventually dies. I mean, one certain thing, there's one certainty in life and that's death. That's one exactly. thing that everyone is sure of. We're all going to Absolutely. Die. Yeah, look, it's all going to end in tears, right? We're definitely going to lose like everything, right? And we're going to lose our partners. 
you know, but again, yeah. hopefully that's inspiring that, oh my God, I want to hold them close today. Like the thing that matters the most is connection and love. And so this is the weird thing. Instead of trying to move away from the terror of being abandoned or rejected, what I try and help people do is embrace it. So you're not codependent. You're not needy. You want to actually celebrate. You know who you are to me. You are the one that if I was abandoned by, I would be fucking devastated. You're my person. We should go to 7-Eleven and get their most expensive bottle of champagne and celebrate. Yeah. So some people do feel more comfortable running away from love. A lot of us are this way, regardless of what age you're at. It's easier to run away from love than embracing it. So then what advice do you have for those people that struggle to open themselves up for love and connection? If you're struggling to open yourself up for love and connection, it's happening for a valid reason. The first thing we want to do is accept and validate the one that's running away from love and is scared and is scared, even if they wouldn't use that word scared. I just don't need it. Right. But I'm not mocking it. We want to accept and validate and listen to the part that's like, I don't want to do that. Right. And if we do that really well, we accept and validate that part, then maybe they could have a snooze or go for a walk. And then we could talk to the person that's a little deeper down inside that maybe got hurt in love and relationship with their parents, with their peers and former relationship, maybe all of the above. And now we get to know who is the one that got hurt that was here before the strategy of I don't need it. No, that's not for me. And then we can love and care for deeply the hurt one. And then at least in therapy, then we're going to do is by giving that love that one didn't get back then. And they have the only way they could survive was, no, I'm not trying again. But hey, look what's happening right now. You're feeling that pain and I'm here and I'm loving you now. And if it's a couple, we can literally create that moment, right? They fight with each other. See, it's not safe to to come out and ask to be loved. But I can actually create that moment where you're in the pain and the other person is here right now, loving you right now. And then we can, what we call it, a missing experience. We can create that primary missing experience of being loved in the present, this present moment, which is the one the little one inside them needed all along. Oh, that's sweet. I like that. So childhood experiences shape our attachment styles. How can understanding our attachment style help us build healthier relationships and avoid quote unquote toxic dynamics or what we think is toxic? Yeah. Well, so look, this is uh, this is another thing I think a lot about, right? Because most of the literature out there and attachment, actually, I don't think it helps people, right? Because their brain is already, people, most people's brains are like, let me find out what's wrong with me and let me find out what's wrong with my partner. So it right. doesn't matter what content you give them, they're just going to take that content and now pathologize themselves and pathologize their partner and pathologize their relationship together. So unfortunately, when most people learn about attachment, they label themselves as anxious, label their partner as avoidant or vice versa, or insecurely attached or, you know, um, right. So here's the thing, just like nuclear power, you can use it, right to like power and like provide energy for the entire world. Or you can destroy the entire world. So it's. I think all of that may actually. I think all of these things that were supposed to be helpful for relationships. I agree. They kind of make things worse. 
So part of being a smart businesswoman is that I make super good decisions at all times. And by that, I mean 50% of the time, I still make super regrettable decisions. But there's one decision I've recently made that I'm super proud of. Well, actually two, I guess. Number one, not going back to people that broke me. And number two, using every plate for my meal and food service. Looking to budget your food expenses? You're not alone. So now you can get more bang for your bite with America's best value meal kit. Every plate is 25% cheaper than grocery shopping and 50% cheaper than your average fast food casual meal with no hidden fees so you can count on great value week after week. Plus, only pay for what you need with pre-portioned ingredients. They plan the meals and deliver the pre-portioned ingredients right to your doorstep. They're the easiest way to eat affordably. I mean, that is why I chose them, aside from how easy it is to cook. They have these 15-minute or less dinners, which is perfect for someone like me. But their meal kits are so well-known for such a low price, and that is literally what sets every plate apart from other meal services. Every plate provides plenty of delicious varieties, so you'll never get stuck in a cooking rut. They have 26 tasty and affordable recipes that they change every week, including 15-minute or less dinners that I just talked about, and dinner-to-lunch dishes. It's easy to find something flavorful and satisfying for every meal of the day. Plus, add even more delicious options to your order with up to 22 convenient sides, lunches, snacks, desserts, and more. Cook once, eat twice with their new dinner-to-lunch dishes. Tasty filling meals for both dinner and lunch the next day. Each recipe is carefully crafted to ensure the ingredients can be easily repurposed so you don't feel like you're just eating leftovers. Plus, save time making lunch on busy weekdays with most of the work already done at dinner. So get started today with Every Plate for just $1.49 per meal. Yeah, that's right. By going to everyplate.com slash podcast and entering my code 49ADULTING. That is basically up to $110 value, okay? So again, get started with every plate for just $1.49 per meal by going to everyplate.com slash podcast and entering my code 49ADULTING to save money today and eat well like the queen and kings that you guys are. Love ya. Exactly. Well, yeah, because look, you got to change. At the, there's this fundamental level, like everything I just said about, listen, you're hurting in love because it's the most human thing in the world. And you need to love and care about that self inside yourself. And by the way, every other freaking person, you meet too. There's like, and until someone believes that, any information you give them, they're just going to use to destroy the world. So we have to change their opinion on this deep fundamental level about themselves and other people. Attachment theory really helps you because you can learn how to love and accept yourself and other people. But look, it's a tiny, a tiny um, turn. You use the same information. And it's just going to make you even better at being unbelievably mean and like, you know, judging yourself and unbelievably mean and judging other people. Yeah, actually, I was I one of the last guys that I was dating, we had a disagreement and I felt like he wasn't showing up for me the way I needed him to show up. And then because of how I reacted about it being like, maybe this isn't working out. He then was trying to be, to show his support. He sent me some videos about attachment styles and about how I don't love myself. So I should work on that. So that like, that's where I was coming from when I felt like he wasn't showing up for me. And that actually irritated me instead of helped me. I mean, I was like flattered. I was like, wow, he's trying to better understand mental health. But then I was also like, wait, what? 
Like, how did you just completely remove yeah. blame from yourself and just assume that it's because I don't love myself when I feel like you're not showing up for me? So that's where I think it gets tricky, right? Exactly. No, it, look, it, look, everybody, when they read a self-help book, right, they maybe do about five pages where they're reading about themselves. And then after five pages, they're going, oh, you know, who would really benefit from this? Like everybody right. wants to fix other people, but not themselves. Right. <laughs> but but yeah, look, attachment theory is really helpful if you use it to better love and accept yourself and other people. If you actually now use it to be better informed about how you judge and blame yourself and judge and blame other people and be able to now give other people advice and how they could be better, like your ex did, it's actually just going to make it even harder for you to get out of the entanglement of how you protect yourself from vulnerability and get in even more relationship mess. Right. So yeah, it's very common for people to blame their partners for all the things that go wrong in relationships, clearly, as we just discussed. So then how can we learn to take responsibility for our own actions and our own emotions while also encouraging our partners to do the same in a healthy way? It's great. So yeah, so this is the most important thing, right, is remember when we want to put taking self-responsibility like further down the line, and work on as a as a couple hey can we study what is the system that we create together so i'm not asking you to take responsibility don't be asking me to take responsibility let's you and me study what is this third entity that we create together right and then we can be a team to better understand ourselves and do the work we both have to do so we can show up vulnerably authentically with each other and love and care for each other the way we both deserve need and want so first step is do the look it's an us problem not a me or a you problem all these quote unquote problems or solutions is that normal to have it early on in the relationship or is that post the honeymoon stage well, yeah. So when you say post honeymoon stage, right? If you think like honeymoon stage is the stage you need in order to get attached to each other, like deeply attached, right? Some people's honeymoon stage may be a couple of hours, right? You know what I mean? Like it right. might be like two hours in the club dancing together. And then they're like, no, I must be with him. And the other person's like, I must be enough for them, right? So look, and other people, their honeymoon might be two years. And they're going to be in a rude awakening in two years from now when they're like, all of what happened in our relationship? We had two years of never fighting, right? So usually during the honeymoon period, right, both people feel like they're enough for each other and they're not a disappointment. They're, they're there for each other. And how you actually kind of really how I would actually demarcate the end of the honeymoon period into love, attachment love is actually the first moment where someone goes, hey, I thought you said you'd be here for me. And the other person goes, wait, what? You said I, you were never going to be disappointed in me. And can the relationship survive that shift from romantic honeymoon love to attachment, emotional bonding love? That's, you know, where the rubber meets the road. But this is where you're saying that it can be at any point in the dating. Because I think a lot of times the way we give people advice is to walk away faster by being like, well, you shouldn't already have a disagreement this early on. But you're saying the honeymoon stage can last anywhere from two years to two hours. And it's just then up to you afterwards exactly. if you want to make it work or not. 
Yeah, look, so there's a lot no of this wrong stuff answer is, here is what you're saying. No, there's no wrong answer. Of course, there's no wrong answer. If you are at a moment in your life and you happen to look, if you bump into someone at a nightclub or at a furry convention and you happen to be, I am friggin' ready to be chosen and there, I am ready to be enough. And you're like, oh, I love your bunny rabbit suit. And they're like, oh, a squirrel. Right. right? Like, go for it. Yeah. Go for it. Right. But look, timing, I hate to say this. Timing is like, like I, I, when I think about, look, when I was 22. I met an amazing girl. She was incredible. She's so great. We're still friends to this day. I had never had a checkbook. I was an Irish mammy son, right? My mammy did everything for me. I had to grow up. Like I had to go out into the world and like um, make mistakes and grow up and learn a whole bunch of things. Like sometimes timing, you know what I mean? You could like, I am ready to commit and you meet someone that like what they're really into is playing Call of Duty for 20 hours a week. It's just not going to work. Right. Well, because both people need to show up for each other every day. Yeah, well, both both people need to show up for each other every day, but you don't need to start that way. But at some point, both people have to answer the call of, hey, this is no longer a romantic love, right? I just love the way you break dance. You love the way I moonwalk. At some point, we have to go, oh, shit, we're really those. We're the one for each other that we need to be enough for each other and be there for each other. And this is it. You and if you want to make long term monogamous relationship work. Now, let's be clear. You don't like you don't have to. But for those people that that is what they want, there is some moment or transition where relationship becomes it just it's work. Because remember, love means getting scared that you won't be loved. That is a feature, not a bug. Being scared. I'm not a priority to my partner or, or being scared of oh, Jesus. They're never happy with me. That is a feature, not a bug. And that's really important. The reason I keep repeating that most people think, oh, look, we have a problem in our relationship. You should you shouldn't be so needy or you should show up more. Right. Well, listen, the fact that you're having that fight means you really love each other and you probably just need a little help. I'm going to use technical language, calming the fuck down. Seeing what's happening between the two of you from a little broader perspective. You're just two people that love each other and started scaring the shit out of each other. That's what people that love each other do. And if we can help you calm down, then you can actually give each other the love that you needed that you just weren't able to when you were both too scared and threatened and you started doing all that stuff you do to keep yourself safe. But all you managed to do was make things worse. Yeah. Wait. And... People get themselves in trouble by thinking when they're in a fight, this is a bug we have to get rid of versus no way. This is a feature of what two people that love each other do. Understood. Right? Yeah. Everybody calm down. The more freaked out you get, the bigger the problem you make. Yeah. And the more freaked out I am is because I care so much about losing this person. Yeah, Yeah. listen, you love your partner so much when he's off playing chess, you feel alone. And now you're going to judge yourself. And then, of course, he's going to go find you self-love books. But both of you, both of you made things worse. But and the idea is, fingers crossed, temporarily. 
Yeah. You only made it worse temporarily. The next day, a week later, you go, look, I love you so much. I like it. I feel bad about myself when you're gone at chess and I'm alone. And he's like, I feel so bad that I'm at chess. I can't even enjoy it because I'm worried you're disappointed in me. And then you hug each other and kiss each other and you rub each other's noses and whatever right. you do. Yeah. So, OK, empathy is obviously a vital tool in any relationship, but it can also be challenging to empathize when we carry deep emotional wounds from our own past. So how can we foster empathy for ourselves and then also for our partners, despite our baggage? Here's what I try. Let me just say this. What I try and do and everything you've heard me say so far is I'm trying to create what I refer to as empathy squared. Okay. Everybody understands one directional empathy. Like, you know, Violet, you you tell me you're not feeling well. And I go, you know, oh, I'm so sorry, Violet. I'm sorry you're feeling sick. This is terrible, right? So you're feeling bad. I heard you're feeling bad. I feel bad with you. And I let you know I feel bad with you. And you're like, that's really nice. Figs feels bad with me. I feel like I'm not alone in how bad I'm feeling. That's what I call one directional empathy. You're having bad feelings. I'm feeling it with you. And I care and I tell you and you're like, that's nice. I'm not alone. I still don't feel good, but at least I'm not alone in it. Right. OK. Yeah. Great. One directional empathy. But we want empathy squared in a relationship. And, and this is like literally up leveling people's whole ability to interact with the world. Whereas let's say, again, Violet, let's use the example you and I are in relationship. I'm hurting, feeling like you're always disappointed in me. You're hurting, feeling not prioritized. But instead of me, you trying to just get me to only empathize with you or me trying to get you to only empathize with me, imagine we're both hurting and we both see the way we're both hurting each other and we could have empathy for ourselves and each other at exactly the same moment. How? That is the, well, <laughs> I mean, listen, this is where I always say, like, I have more in common with a movie maker like, you know, a filmmaker than I have like other therapists, how what I do is I craft, guide a couple into that experience, that living, breathing experience, right? We have to have this experience where both people are like you said, look, I'm hurting and you didn't prioritize me, you and your chest, chess is more important than me. And the other person is like, look, you said it was okay for me to go play chess and look at you now. You're never happy, right? So now somehow got to craft those two separate experiences into this one shared experience where, hey, it actually we both make sense that we're both hurting. And I can see how the way we're both reacting hurts each other. That the craft of my work is helping two people live inside of that like systemic narrative where it softens their hearts, calms their limbic systems, and then they can have this empathy for each other. Well, I guess one solution from what I recall a long time ago with someone I was dating, we had a disagreement the night before and he just, I think we were he was supposed to pick me up and then out of nowhere, he was in a bad mood and he was like, I don't need everyone trying to take advantage. I don't know where he was coming from. Like, it didn't make sense. Tell me he didn't want to pick me up. And I'm like, what? You already said you're going to pick me up, whatever. We had a disagreement and then I'm thinking he's wrong. He's thinking I'm wrong because I'm not catering to his feeling. And the next day, instead of going off on him, I said, what if I tried a different approach? So then I reached out to him and I sent him a voice note. And I recall, I said, 
hey, I was thinking about how you were feeling. And you know what? I should have been more attentive to your feelings. You were having a really bad day and it wasn't about me. I realize now it wasn't personal when you when I felt like you were giving me attitude because it had to do with you having a bad day and I should have I should have paid attention to your feelings. So I'm so sorry for not checking in with you and making a big deal out of you not picking me up. I apologize. Because in my brain, I was like, I bet you if I empathize with his emotions, it'll be easier for him to then empathize with mine. And then that's exactly what happened. He was so surprised that I validated and acknowledged his feelings. that then he said, wow, thank you so much for acknowledging my feelings. And honestly, by the way, no, you're right. I shouldn't have acted so bratty because you didn't deserve that. I wasn't angry right. with you. I was just having a bad day. And then boom, we ended up solving our issue. And it all had to start with me removing my ego and acknowledging only his feelings in order for the him to then remove his ego and then acknowledge my feelings. Brilliant. It's brilliant, right? And and look, you definitely, having that ability to like, look, we're in a system, I'm hurting, they're hurting, let me be the bigger person and go, tell me about the way you're hurting, you're hurting, makes sense? Brilliant, right? But you could imagine, let's say that was the only way for you get you guys to get the mutual empathy, Someone's going to get tired of that real fast. Me. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Yeah. Because eventually the other person is like, yeah, thank you very much for taking responsibility. And you're sitting waiting. Uh, hello. So look, it's not, it's good. And sometimes you got to do it because the other person is not available. And you got to go, okay, let me just empathize with you because they're like, they're in their five-year-old. Right. There's no bringing them back. Let me you know. No, you need a cookie. I get yeah, you need a cookie. Right. Like sometimes you just got to yeah. do that. But really, realistically, you can't always do that. You can't always do that. And that's why I like to, the most important thing is to teach two people how listen, you're if you if one of you is hurting, both of you are hurting. If you Aww. think one of you is acting badly, then, hey, sorry about this. You're probably acting badly, too. So both of you are hurting and both of you are acting in a way that the other person is experiences badly all at the same time. Everything, everywhere, all at once. And so the most important skill for a couple to, to develop an experience to have is to be able to go from these your own separate subjective experience to our shared systemic experience. Look how much pain we are in and look how much pain we are causing each other. Ah, that drop that we need to share drop in, and it because it's only happening because we love each other. Right. So it's constantly a team. So then at what point in your dating do you start viewing yourselves as a team or is just like from the first date you're a team no I, I wouldn't say from the first date you're a team again remember what love is right you're so important to me Let, let's say like you have a sensitivity to being abandoned right I you're do. the one that is yeah. well you know I, I, I put it that way i let you volunteer so you have a sensitivity to being abandoned on your first date and depending on the person, it could be the next 50 dates, right? You're probably rightly assessing. My heart hasn't been fully chosen yet. Like, it's not. Look, if you learn how to be vulnerable with your heart and how to dare to ask to be chosen fully by someone, it doesn't mean you should be asking someone on the first day, please choose me. I love you and I want you to be the one, right? You're actually pretty smart to wait and slow down and until you you really can feel we cross that threshold that I'm the one that they want to be enough for, as well as I'm 
they're the one I want to not be abandoned by. Like you're, it's a tricky thing when you start dating someone and we're in like the honeymoon period is great, but now we're in this period of time that we haven't quite crossed over into the, we are really an item. And man, like it's exciting, but that's like, it's kind of a lot of pain and suffering and anxiety and like, you know, too, right. It's not easy being in that gray area. Like, where's this going to go? Right. Like have to feel fully safe in the relationship with your own feelings. I remember with a partner that I was dating and I tried to, we had a falling out and I tried to explain and I was trying to apologize by saying like, you know, I just had constantly one foot out the door and I realized now that was a mistake. And I was thinking, wow, look at me, I'm acknowledging what I did wrong. And instead he took it completely a different direction where it was like, well, I guess then you weren't thinking about me at all. Then the whole time you're just thinking about yourself and you weren't thinking about me. And then instead it was just felt like, whoa, okay. I just shared how I was feeling. It was really hard for me to share. And now I'm being attacked and I feel so small and I'm uncomfortable and I'm going to get defensive. So how do you kind of, what do you do in these moments? Well, look, here's the like, I think it's really not a bad idea to be able to ascertain whether the person you're talking to is capable of self-reflection, hearing someone else's process without making it all about them. Right. So look, I'm a therapist, right? I, I talk about my vulnerability for a living and I help other people talk about their vulnerability for a living. Do you think when I'm back here in Ireland with my friends from high school that I'm talking about my vulnerability? No. No. I'm talking about rugby. And right? chess. Um, Yes, exactly. And and pints of Guinness. And you know what they, by the way, you know what they love here in Ireland is freezing water swimming. Like I live in Hawaii, right? We swim in 80 degrees. It's 50 degrees. All my friends want to swim in the sea in 50 degrees, uh, 50 degrees um, Fahrenheit, right? 20, what is it? Oh, no, no, 50. Yeah, Fahrenheit. I'm I'm getting the the translation wrong. I'm not going to be talking to them about my deepest vulnerabilities. They're I love them to death, but that's not the path that they chose to be like self-reflecting on their pain. And so, look, I think it's really good to be wise, learn, do the work to be able to feel your vulnerability, know why you do things, but you should still be selective of who you're sharing your heart with. Don't be going off and sharing with everyone just because you learned how to do it. Because just like you'd learned with your ex-boyfriend, that fella's not ready to have a conversation. In that moment, God bless him, he's probably in a monastery somewhere now, like all wise with people sitting at his knees, but, you know, <laughs> learning from him. But um, sure. but look, I think it's really smart to check the waters first. Are you open to have a conversation about what happened between us? Don't be coming right out with your vulnerability and your self-responsibility with people that just, look, they're just not capable of having a conversation like that. I mean, you saying that just validated so much in me. So thank you for saying that because I think I have a big issue where because of what I do for a living, because of all the research I do, I have an issue where how some, you know how some people overly blame others my issue is constantly yeah. only taking all the responsibility on myself constantly so then i do sometimes i think end up in situations where i'm so used to being the one to take the blame that everyone that the people around me may not be as self-aware and then they don't want to share quote unquote the blame with me and then suddenly it's just exactly me and that can exactly. be hard but, 
Absolutely. But this is where, again, if I, if I could dare to offer you, if I was you, here's what I would tell you to work on is don't focus on taking self-responsibility because you got that part down, right? You you naturally, I wonder what my part of it was. Start to see if you can put together what's the system me and this other person were in together. Like, you know what I mean? There's, let's say it again, there's three entities. There's you, there's the other person, friend, boyfriend, person you're on a date with, whatever, right? And then there's the system that you both create together. What is the system we, we just, so so you know, what you do, right? Oh, I could see what I did. I was not feeling good about myself. And I started projecting that onto the world. And of course, I was kind of bitchy. Ah, oh, shoot. Well, what did it feel like inside them? What did they do to protect themselves from you? And then you go, oh, damn, would you look at the system we created together versus you just working on like taking self-responsibility? Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So again, the team, if they're also ready to view it as a team versus playing the blaming game, well, like you just said. No, but even if, but by the way, sorry, even if they're not ready, you could still do that work and never ever go to them and talk to them about it. At least you should know what is it. Look, it, you know, let's say, which happens to me way too often. This is embarrassing. Like I'm walking my dog and someone doesn't stop their car to let us walk across the sidewalk. And 99% of the time, I'm pretty good. But I go, hey, buddy. And the guy goes, hey, I said sorry. This literally just happened to me, right? And I'm like, you know, whatever with your sorry, you know. Like, listen, I didn't feel considered. I yelled. They felt it was unfair because they were waving, apologizing as they did it. So they yelled back. Okay, listen, we got in a system with each other. Now, I don't need to go talk to that guy and tell him, oh, you know, the system we got in. I'm really sorry. Like, but, but at least I know, look, I got hurt. I reacted. It hurt the other person. They reacted. Look at the system we both got in with each other. Two, two people got hurt. Two people reacted. Okay. You don't have to like go work it out with every person, but at least you should know what are what are the systems you're create you're co-creating with other people in the world. That makes sense. So moving on, we often hear the phrase love yourself first or and so on. So then how does uh self-compassion and self-love impact the health of our relationships? And then what practices do you think that we can practice uh kind of strength the aspects of ourselves? Yeah. So one of the first things is we just got to get rid of this whole love yourself first thing. It's completely bullshit. Okay. It makes no sense, right? It makes no sense. We're an interdependent species, right? We need other people. Again, we are useless, right? You're born, you're completely fucking sitting there. You can't even sit up, right? You need other people, right? You can't just love yourself first as a baby, Right. You have to have other people there for you to survive. Let's say you have wounding around being abandoned, around being rejected. You feel ashamed. You're too much. You're not enough. The only place to truly work and heal those things is by recreating those missing experiences where you felt abandoned, you felt rejected, you felt ashamed, you weren't enough, you were you were too much with another living being, living human being right now, right? So you're going to actually grow the love you need inside you that is missing by creating it with another human being right now. Now, it doesn't have to be a romantic partner. Right. It could be your best friend, right? It could be a coworker, it could be someone that you like have a 
dog walking incident with like, you know, but ultimately we're going to heal through relationship with the world, not by only working on ourselves. Then by being around people that trigger those things in us, and then we work through it together. Yeah, exactly. You know what they say, like, yeah, like every time you get activated or triggered by another person, you know, we say yet another fucking growth opportunity. Right. Right. That's all it is. Right. They're just a mirror. They're showing you some part of yourself or something else from your past that you you're not comfortable with. And now you have an opportunity to grow. Right. But in terms of here's what I would just say, like, in terms of like, don't be in relationship until you learn to love yourself. Yeah, that's silly. I agree. Great. That That's what I meant about, look, it's really important to do work where you're learning to show up for the vulnerable one inside of yourself. But but why? So that you can then dare to be in another relationship now where you could risk being abandoned, risk being rejected, risk being not enough, risk being too much, risk getting on stage as a comedian. Right. right? You like, like so that you can have a relationship with the world. And what is a romantic partner other than the world's number one representative for you? Yeah, I agree. I think I used to think that you have to work on yourself before you enter in a relationship. And I believe you can work on yourself while being in a partnership because normally that's how you get to learn more about yourself. Exactly. By seeing how exactly. you react when some when there's a mirror standing in front of you. And I genuinely also think those relationships where they make you want to run, they may be the most beneficial relationships that you should maybe instead of running, be like, wait, should I face myself? Should I work on myself? Or am I just going to do the same thing I always do where I'm going to say it's your fault and then run away? Exactly. Exactly. And this is, and it brings us back to your first question, right? Look, it's tricky to know, right? And it really is tricky to know. When is it, oh, this is a great growth opportunity. My partner never shows up, right? Oh, I'm <laughs> growing so much, right? And oh, when is own. it? Yeah, exactly. When is it? Uh, no, hello. Uh, I think it's time for you to look at how come you keep trying when this person is clearly not ready. They're not ready. What is going yeah. on? Like it's, I wish there was an easy, no, and people are going to tell you easy answers. Oh my God. Like people are like, you know what? If they're not showing up, you leave them, right? You just love yourself. Like, hello, that's, thank you for that. Like if someone tries to fight me, I should just like, give them an uppercut and knock them out. Thank you. Great advice. Yeah. Right? You know, yeah. Like, come on. Like, it's just, it's really hard to know when is the right time to give up trying. Again, I'm going to sound really boring. You know what I think is the right time to give up trying? Yeah. When? When you understand what is the system that we're in with each other. When you okay. deeply understand the system that I and this other person are co-creating with each other, and then ideally both of you would do that work of deeply understanding the system we're in. And if you deeply understand it, that'll either bring you down into this soft, like shared empathy, and you'll turn towards each other and love each other now in the ways you weren't able to before, or you'll now have enough data to come to a very logical decision that, oh my God, this isn't the right place for me. Yeah. And of course you might have to grieve, but then you can make the decision to move on. I like that. I like that. 
what would you say the truth is about codependent relationships? So codependent relationships, I am not a big fan of the word codependency and calling people codependent. I think the whole theory of codependency came about in the 1980s when people were studying the family members of alcoholics and addicts. And they discovered that, lo and behold, shockingly, the family members of alcoholics and addicts were not very healthy. They weren't doing too well because they were incredibly worried about their husband, father, brother, who was not capable of showing up for relationship because they had a primary relationship with alcohol or a drug. Yeah. So now think about if everything I said is true. Right. Back in the 80s, these like um, psychologists, they didn't include attachment theory in their work. So they were trying to understand why are these people making really stupid choices with someone who's an alcoholic? And so they judged them as sick. They said, you're sick. You're codependent. You have a sickness. You you're making stupid choices. But now just let's add in attachment theory, everything I said that emotional bonding is primary, their person, their mom, who's an addict or an alcoholic, their dad, who was an addict or an alcoholic, their husband, their wife, who's an addict or, or, like, or an alcoholic, they were not capable of staying in the relationship. They were not capable of, cho- of choosing them over alcohol or right. drugs. Of course, they were going to do everything they could to try and keep the connection. They would do anything to keep the connection. So the partner, the person that's been called codependent, was making all these compromises to make sure they didn't lose the emotional bond. Now, don't call that person sick. That person is fighting for love. And we want to help them see everything you're doing. It totally makes sense. You don't want to lose your person. So you're making these quote unquote compromises so that you don't lose them right? That is a beautiful thing. Now, from that loving and caring and framing it that way, then we can help them assess, is it really the right thing to do? But let's not call them something like they're sick, like they're codependent. And then, of course, these days, codependency is thrown around now that like, oh, I need someone too much. I'm codependent. Or we need each other too much. We're codependent. Again, think about everything I said. That's not true. You like you don't, you're not needy. They're just that important to you that you're scared of losing them. Stop judging that part of yourself and stop judging that part in other people. This is a beautiful part of you, not a quote unquote codependent part of you. Got it. I like that. So then you're not making people feel bad if they're in a relationship where they need each other a little more, whether it's friendship or relationship, I think is just about then finding the right partner. I had a friend and she was dating this guy. And then he said, you know, you're like, you're a little needy. Wait, wait, but let me finish. Needy for me. I'm sure not for other people, just for me. And when she told me that, I said, that's the worst thing you can hear. Cause that's literally your partner. <laughs> like that's right, the one right, person right. you don't want to yeah, tell yeah. you that you're needy. Right. But <laughs> so I think, and I told her, I don't think I don't think that means you're needy. You just, you need a partner that probably likes that as much as you like it. And then you're a better match for one another versus being with someone that makes you feel like you're asking for too much, right? 
Well, unfortunately, it doesn't really work that way. So here's the way it usually works, right? Let's say if you're a seven out of 10 and wounding, feeling like I want to be close to someone and I, I get anxious when I'm not close to them. You're like, here's the bad news. Sorry, Violet, right? You're probably going to be drawn to someone that's a seven out of 10 on the, hey, yeah. listen, could everything be okay right now? Would you be okay if I had a little alone time? Like, Yeah, because like they I feel like home. Well, they feel like home, but also together you create a perfect uh, balance. Right. You actually create balance. So like, and you also create the possibility of the missing experience. Like, See, you know, again, I know this doesn't sound too complicated, but let's say what you really needed when you were a kid was hugs. There's no uh -huh. point you going out today and just going to find someone that's like won the Olympics at hugging. Like they're just already naturally a brilliant hugger, right? right? It, you'd Because you'll have bypassed or skipped the missing experience of having someone that you remember from your childhood so, uh, unconsciously. They, I didn't get hugs. Even if I asked for a hug, I wouldn't have got one, right? So what you probably need is someone that hugging is not natural to them, but they know they're your person and they're going to do the work to move towards being a hugger. Okay, well, here's an example. I didn't grow up with touch and I've read and this, at least for me, my experience has been that the love languages I didn't get as a child are now my love languages as an adult, one of them being touch. And I do then I am now drawn to partners who were touch as their love language and we touch a lot. That's we're great. constantly touching. But I guess that's because I've done the work and that's why I'm not drawn to people who don't touch me. I would imagine so, right? Look, every individual is different, but I would imagine that you have done enough personal work, right? That you're now available to be like to receive and give touch without it being overwhelming, right? Without it being too much, which is great. Yeah. Well, I had to do a lot of work, but I'm, I can't date someone that touch or public affection is not their thing because that's like what I need. And I know that it's wonderful. That's great. Yeah, it's great. But I, I would imagine that you like we're talking to you now. Like I imagine the first time, let's say, you know, when you first dated someone that was, you know, Mr. Touchy Feely Pants in a good way. Probably made right? it might, Yeah, it was probably a little overwhelming. I'm imagining there was yeah. a there was a process you must have gone through to yes. be where you are now to that. Like it might've been kind of weird. Like it would have been pretty vulnerable. I'm imagining at first to be with yeah. someone that was open to being Cheap. sensual. Yeah. 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 That, that does make sense. So they're just, that's, yeah. so it just means I've done enough to work to not attract. Exactly. And that's what we want. It. That's what we want. Right. Like we, I didn't get it back then. It's scary to get it right now. So you move through the scary, but I didn't just give it. No, I don't need touch. I'm actually going to dare to be scared. And now I'm on the receiving end of, yay, I get the love that I needed back then that wasn't available back then. But now I can let myself get it right now. Bingo, right? That, that's what we want, right? That's the yeah. ultimate experience. In fact, all you could describe everything I do is we find what wasn't there back then. We dare to feel the pain of it not being there. Like the way it hurt back then, we feel it right now. And then we see if we can get it right now and dare to let it in right now. And then I can move through the rest of my life, not trying to avoid it, actually allowing myself to be loved by myself and other people right now. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's I, it's a wonderful thing when you describe it like that. I mean, obviously, this is just for the touch love language. Yeah. You describe it like that, it does make it more exciting than to want to pursue love with other people because even the fear of rejection, knowing that you can get on the other end and you can find something so wonderful and so beautiful, why why would you not want to do that? Yeah, I mean, again, we we, we know the why not, right? Is because you're gonna get you're gonna get your heart smushed. And it's yeah. devastating, right? You know, earlier well, you're you gonna said, you're gonna what? get your heart smudged. What I've learned and what I'm learning is that I'm gonna get my heart broken whether I jump in or I don't. Because if even if I self sabotage, I'm just gonna end up hurting myself and my partner, or I'm gonna get myself hurt by jumping in and they don't love me. But regardless, it's a potential of hurting myself. So I might as well try. And I think it's silly that we always end up doing all this self sabotaging stuff, and we still end up hurting ourselves. Here, here, beautifully put. Okay, is there anything that you want to add that I didn't have a chance to add? Here's the thing that I, you know, I, I consume social media, right? I'm on YouTube a lot, right? Um, I start off watching Bitcoin content and the sh- like the reels or the shorts get me eventually, right? Here's what I notice in the culture right now, right? You know, is that, there's a lot of glorification of the way people protect themselves from being hurt. So I see a lot where let's, I'm going to do it by gender that women are like, you know what, if he doesn't show up, I'm a queen and I deserve to be treated like a queen and fuck that guy. Let's drop kick him to the curb early. And now listen again, remember it's valid. I want to be clear. It is valid. The reason someone thinks that way is because they probably got really badly hurt. So I get it, but it's not a long-term solution for you to feel good about yourself and have a good relationship with the world and a primary other, right? Don't kill me for saying it. The other side of that with men, what I see is the quote unquote Sigma male. Yeah. Give no shits. I get up and work out at four in the morning and I'm going to make money and I'm going to flex, right? And it's, now, I'm listen, not, I will never be a simp because treating a woman exactly. right is simping. Yeah, like, look, again, the only reason, even though they would never admit it, someone leans into that way of relating to the world is they are protecting themselves from being hurt. And so it is valid. It is. I'm not. It's not. I'm not. It is valid. I'm not putting them down. I was a young man. hate to sound like, you know, (laughs) I'm 52. Right. So. But. At some point, fingers crossed, that man or that woman listening that are attracted to that way of protecting themselves, we want to hopefully put it down and do a little self-exploration see if we could get to who's hurting underneath those strategies and see if we could love them and let them dare to risk being open-hearted. You might get your heart broken, but the rewards to you having a relationship with the world and a primary other and friends where you're not just in some kind of strategy, mask, representative, far outweigh, you know, the benefits of continuing to protect yourself the way you do. Yeah, because it's lonely because you protect yourself from being hurt, but then you also protect yourself from ever loving someone or being loved back. And I think that's a sad world because I I genuinely think what is the point of life and enjoying it or even success and everything that you want to achieve in life if you don't have someone or by your side, whether it's your family, your friends or your romantic partner to share with? I mean, even research shows 
there's a whole research that people live longer when they are in a happy partnership, not in a marriage when they're unhappy, but in a happy partnership, they live longer and they're happier. Absolutely. That's happiness. Absolutely. Here's the thing. The last part I would just say about this is what is annoying for me is that validating, let's like say someone got hurt, they got abandoned in relationship, and then you've validated person by going, you know what? That guy was a dick. And you, you don't need him. And you better like stre- strengthen your heart so you don't get hurt by people like him again, right? Like that stuff sells like hotcakes. And again, for young men out there, right? Like you get yourself to the gym at 4 a.m. I mean 4 a.m. Right. Right. That's you can just be disciplined and you won't have to get hurt anymore and you'll be successful. That is so attractive to people. This whole like, let's be vulnerable, feel your feelings and risk getting your heart broken. Like that's like offering someone salad and the other person is offering M&Ms and pizza. It's so much easier to eat M&Ms and pizza than salad. I mean, I don't like that. I only eat salad when my wife orders me salad. I'm sorry. Right. Right. But it is better for me. I'm glad after I've eaten it, right? And I'll live longer, right? Same, right? Anyway, okay, yeah. that's my pet peeve these days, right? That um, I want to be validated. They protect themselves from... They want actual... But it's not helping just hurting each other it's a bunch of hurt people walking around hurting each other making other people feel even more defensive and even more wanting to be independent but i think eventually everyone learns the hard way or the easy way or the hard way that love is the end of all i couldn't have said it better i love that love matters more than anything else of course okay where can people find you yeah, the all the social media like TikTok and Instagram, Facebook is at Empathy Now, and it's Empathy with a ninety end, not a Y in the end. N O W, right? And uh, the website Empathy dot com again, Empathy with a ninety end, not a Y in the end. Great. And there's counseling on there. And there's also different tests that you can take for yourself and then for exactly. your partner. And I'll leave everything in the description for you guys and including his socials. Well, yeah. thank you so much again for coming on. Thank you, uh, Violet, for having me back. Of course. I hope you'll have fun. Uh, loads of fun. Uh, loads of fun in Ireland. And yes. um, thank, thank you. you guys so much for listening. Love you. Bye.